Good job, Pam. There you go. Amen. Yes, thank you for walking in obedience, stepping out in that that you felt to do. That's good. It's always it was always it's always good when when we do that. Follow the Spirit. There's no guarantee of how it's going to turn out, but uh, do that. Years ago, I wrote a, read a book um, called The Life-Giving Church. Uh, it was written by Ted Haggard out in Colorado Springs. That's the, the town we were trying to think of. Big church, successful church, uh, prayer, world prayer there. I think they, I was never there, but I, I think some of our young people were there years ago. And uh, where, am I correct? There Somewhere there was a globe, like as a world, a place to pray, and all the flags, maybe banners around hanging. Several, many churches did that, but um, they, were, they were known for doing it early, maybe. They, they did it. And um, the, the tragedy in that is that, that um, sometime later, at some point, Ted Haggard fell, and he was in sin and fell. I don't know whatever became of him. But, but, he wrote a book that was phenomenal. And the book was called The Life-Giving Church. And he, he describes how, it, we always have this question, what causes a church to grow? And what, why, what makes this church great and that church not so great, you know? And um, we've, we've all observed that. And he identified the key to it because we'll want to say, well, it's about doctrine, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. It depends on where the church is located, but that doesn't necessarily answer the question. And, and we'll look at different things. It's the model of leadership they use at that church. So we look at all these things and he, he, he came to this. He said, a church, you can have two churches that believe the same thing. They can be sitting right beside each other, same location. And uh, one church will be a life-giving church and one church will not be. And he, he narrows it down to this, um, being in what scripture calls ministers of reconciliation, that, that if that church has life and is giving life, it is fruitful. It's a life-giving church. And the other dynamics, elements, they may have some effect, but a lot of the things that we look at, that's not the real key. The real key is this. And um, I, I felt to come back to this. I, I want to be a life-giving person. I want to be a minister of reconciliation in the broader sense that we're all in the ministry. We're all called to minister. We're all called to follow the Spirit, use our gifts. We're all ministering. And uh, I want to be a person that is life-giving. Now, it doesn't mean you never speak the truth. It doesn't mean you never speak hard things. But there is a, such a difference from a person <clears throat> that is walking this out. So I want, wanted to revisit this scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There's a passage here, 17 through 21, I'll read. And it really helps refocus you like because it's so easy to get caught up in everything we're in a real intense political uh um, um dynamic in our in our nation right now in the world right now so it's 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 real easy to get caught up in that there are other things that will cause us to go to the right or to the left different doctrinal things different ways we minister but this pulls all of us back to the core like here's what we're to live in and minister to in and be in 
And it's really, I believe, the intention of Christ coming, changing us, we're, we're to function in this. This is, this is what I feel is normal, should be normal Christianity, the normal attitude or spirit, regardless of the ministry gift you think you're in. If you bypass this, and Paul wrote this out as a, it's a, it's a guideline, it's a, here's what the picture looks like if the real work of Christ is in you. It begins in verse 17. Now, if anyone is enfolded into the Christ, I love that picture. If anyone's enfolded into Christ, that's a good picture of us being in Christ. We've enfolded him like you're making an enchilada. You know, you fill it with all the goodies and then you fold it up. Okay. He has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. So we're new. We're different. Behold... Everything is fresh and new, and God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation to God. In other words, it is through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions, and he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. And isn't it true this is exactly where we go when we move off of center and we start keeping a list of transgressions against people, especially people that bother you. Then we start looking for the, for the things. We start building the list. We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we are tenderly, so we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf, turn back to God and be reconciled to him. So our message is simplified, brought back to the core, is that we want to see people reconciled to Christ, right? It's, it's beyond just changing behaviors. It's, beyond, it's more than them believing like I do. It's, it's about, I want to see you made right with Christ. I want to see you reconciled. When we, we can identify, it's, it's not rocket science and it's not judging. We can identify when people are not reconciled to Christ, when they're separated from him. So the goal when you identify that is that you tenderly with this, it's about heart, attitude, and spirit that we want to reconcile back to, to that, bring them back to, to Christ, bring them back to being at one in peace with, with Christ. Turn back to God and be reconciled to him. Verse 21, for God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. Where did we all start? Unreconciled. In the beginning, we were separated from God. We learned that even if we were young, that we were, we were born into sin. We were born into <clears throat> iniquity. Iniquity reigns in us. And we, we feel the separation. You, become, you can become very aware early in your life that there's a separation, that you're not reconciled. And so we, this is, this is the, the ministry or the, the emphasis that we want to make, that, we, that it's, it's the, the, the mode we want to operate in. 
we have air conditioners and different things in our households, and there's a, a mode button. What mode do you want it to be in? Do you want it to be in air conditioning mode or fan mode or, you know, whatever mode? And, and we need to pop the reconciliation mode. It will, it will keep you in a good attitude towards people that are a little less than perfect, which you have to remember it's you. So, uh, or believing something that's wrong, uh, a doctrinal error, a, a right, a, a, an error in righteousness. There's a whole difference when you just automatically judge and click off a person that's behaving a certain way, or has a certain sin, whereas, and it's not about compromising, it's about truly caring about their soul. It's like, I love you. I don't, I don't promote your lifestyle, but I care about you as a person. That has a great effect. If we want to really set people into their sinful behavior, just judge them, rail on them, make critical comments towards them, about them, and it actually helps distance people. So it's a tricky thing to stand in an uncompromising place, but we're called to it, Jesus did it. He, he even got criticized for being friends of who? Sinners. Hey, 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 Jesus, what are you doing? You can't be eating with them, right? So was he becoming like the sinners? No, but he, he, he was able to step into their world without becoming like them to bring them. Zacchaeus, come on down from that tree. I know you want to see me. I'll just give you a, I'll give you an interview. I'll give you a close and personal interview. Come to my, yeah, I'm coming to your house to eat. So everyone else shunned the Pharisee, shunned the, the tax collector, shunned whoever. Jesus comes along and says, hey, I want to embrace you. There's something in you. Let's back up in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 through 6, or chapter 3, 6 through 18, rather, I'm sorry. What does the ministry of reconciliation look like? Starting in verse 6, um, he alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. So it's about that. It's about having your focus on a, co a different covenant, not the law. The law judged and killed and condemned. But this covenant is, is what? It's, it's a covenant where you can be reconciled to God. Anyone can be reconciled to God. Our ministry is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of of the spirit the letter of the law kills but the spirit pours out life i've watched um i remember specifically watching a church i was somewhat close to them it was like a, a, a relationship or the beginning of a relationship and and i watched this church that was zealous for the lord become very there's no other way to put it. They became very legalistic in how they ran the church and watching over uh, their people. And um, 
the leadership felt they were they had a lot of zeal for this and they they were really really watching over people but it had this element of rule keeping you know if you're going to homeschool your house had to be clean you had to be checked out and the leaders would go to their homes and make sure they were doing everything right so it, it was it was something over the top of just caring about people and nurturing people it was it was it was about making it very very strict and some of you've come out of churches like that and it begun begins to kill and i'll watch that that group of people a group of men uh the leaders in, in that church they they began to turn on each other how many of you know that you can find fault with the person that's sitting next to you or across the road or whatever does it you know you you know you think i'm wonderful for the th first three weeks of knowing me and then an offense comes. Then a shortcoming gets revealed. Then something, you see something. It's like, it's, you know, it's just reality, isn't it? The closer you get to people, you think they're wonderful for that first phase, and then you find out something about them that bothers you or you're, you really have a hard time with. And, and it causes the distance. And it's, it's difficult to hang in there with people once you see their faults once you see their their ugly temper or once you see an attitude or once they they do something that offends you that it gets it's very it's that's challenging if you continue with that you bring the rules and the laws and hey you're failing here and you're failing there and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and uh you you find fault and pretty soon you're, you're distancing yourself from everyone. And um, that church, that whole leadership, the church continued, but all, all there were four leaders in that church, main leaders, and they're, they're all, they were all gone. They all, it just fell apart, them. Now someone else took the church over, and, and it did well. But you, you get to where you're finding fault, and pretty soon your wife did this, and that person did this. They, they literally, you watch this scripture, be careful lest you devour one another. And I'm like, oh my God. They, it literally became that. So instead of living in an, an atmosphere of honor, an, an atmosphere of grace, and, and again, I'm not, I, I, you know, I'm never uh, condoning licentiousness and just living living in sin but there there are things that we correct but what a difference you you see something in someone you're close to what a difference uh when you just expose that thing and you don't really care if they change or not you just want to see them punished like we don't usually use those words but pretty much that's that gets it gets to that gets to be what it, what it actually is. Opposed to, now someone really close to you that you don't wanna see fail, what do you do then? You don't expose their sin, do you? But if you truly care, you go and you talk to them and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm, I saw this, I see this, like, can we talk about this? Can I help you? Can I pray for you? Like, it, it's a whole, you want to, you want them to do well. You want them to make it. You want them to overcome. That's the spirit of reconciliation. I would desire, more than exposing you, a desire to see you do well. I'm setting you up. In all of our relationships, you can ask yourself, 
you're raising children and you're like, I don't have any little kids. If you still have adult kids, you still have kids, you know? You still have relationships. And, and it's like you'll still have input. Your role changes in their life, but do you have a mentality of setting them up to succeed or you do have a mentality of, of finding their faults and, and criticizing and, and checking that off? It, it's a hard thing to stay out of. It's, it's right there. And, and so uh, your employees or who's under you in whatever responsibilities you have, you can treat your coworkers, the people that are under you in a way that, that you're setting them up to fail or you can treat and watch over them so that you're setting them up to succeed. Big difference, huh? It can look almost the same, but there's this attitude where I'm, I'm, I wanna help the people around me succeed. Uh, and if I see a problem, I don't wanna expose the problem. I wanna, I wanna help, I wanna strengthen that so that they do better, so that they, they have that. In uh, the message translation, this same verse, verse 3 through 3, 6. Only God can write such a letter. His letter authorizes us to help carry out this new plan of action. The plan wasn't written out with ink or paper, with pages or pages of legal footnotes killing your spirit. Don't footnotes kill your spirit. But, you know, got to study and you got to look all that. You know. It is written, this, this last phrase from the message, it is written with spirit on spirit, his life on our lives. If this is the premise of how we walk and live, his spirit, his spirit on our spirit, his life on our life, if that's what you live, then that's what you'll minister. If that's what you experience through everything, then that's what you'll minister. Spirit on spirit, his life on your life. Then it's what you will want for other people. His spirit on their spirit, his life on their life. Going on in this passage, picking up with verse seven. Even the ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters on stone tablets came with a dazzling measure of glory. Though it produced death, the Israelites couldn't bear to gaze on the glowing face of Moses because of the radiant splendor shining from his countenance. A glory destined to fade away. Yet how much more radiant is this new and glorious ministry of the Spirit that shines from us? For if the former ministry of condemnation was ushered in with a measure of glory, how much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness far excel in glory? What once was glorious no longer holds any glory because of an increasingly greater glory that has replaced it. The fading ministry came with a portion of glory but now we embrace the unfading ministry of a permanent impartation of glory. So then, with this amazing hope living in us, we step out in freedom and boldness to speak the truth. We are not like Moses who used to veil, used a veil to hide the glory to keep 
the, uh, <clears throat> the Israelites from staring at him as it faded away. Their minds were closed and hardened. For even to this day, that same veil comes over their minds when they hear the words of the former covenant. Veils, it's a real thing. And the inability to see, this is why I believe the Lord shows his kindness towards us and that, that and we'll look at this verse in a second, that kindness leads us to repentance, his, showing his kindness to us. It leads us to repentance. And, and this is why there is a veil. <clears throat> there may still be somewhat of a veil over your eyes. I've learned as I'm growing, I see more and see more and see more and see more. The unveiling <clears throat> is a process that has continued through my whole Christian walk. I see more. I see, I, I see more in the scriptures. It, it hasn't decreased. It's increased like I see, keep seeing layers. I can go back to the same passage that I've taught out of several times and see more. See more levels. And the veil is a big thing. If you understand people that are unbelieving or people that are behaving badly, according to scripture, we'll, stay, we'll stick with that. How's that? <clears throat> can you acknowledge that there's a veil there's there's something there it's funny how quickly I'll, I'll watch over my own heart like how quickly I can be merciful until a certain point with someone then I'm like they should know better have you said that well you may be right but you may have just killed with the letter spirit of the law. Like you may, you may have just, you've blocked reconciliation. So to have compassion, again, I, I, don't, I don't want to be making excuses for things. There's times to just speak, speak the truth. But speaking the truth and having this attitude of, I'm going to nail you with this and, you know, punish you or see you, it's, it's just different. If you have that, that element of compassion makes all the differences, this is the, it's the mode, the minister of reconciliation, desiring to see people reconciled. If they don't receive the truth, you just move on. Don't need to stand there and dig a grave and bury them there, okay? Doesn't need to be a monument in that place. Like, let them live. And trust in this ministry of the Spirit. I want to, the greatest effects that I have on people around, around me are what I live and what I model. I can, I can rant. I can say what's wrong or right. I can, be, I can be calling things out. But what really impacts people is the life I live and the level of glory that's on my life. That, let that be the thing that draws attention to, hey, how you roll? How do you roll? Well, I pray in the Spirit a lot. I repent when I, when I know I've done something wrong. I watch over my relationships. I, I do this, I do that. So we'll affect people by, by that thing much, much, much more quickly than when we're just finding fault and when we're just 
in a way of condemnation. So the veil, understand the veil, it's a real thing. You go, why don't you get this? Well, if, you, if, you have, if the veil's still there, you can't see it. The veil has not yet been lifted from them, for it is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah, joined to the Lord. So understanding that and understanding that they just can't see, it, it changes how, how you reach out to them. And understanding that, that it's the kindness of the Lord and an awakening, like walk away, you'll be amazed what happens in a person's life over time if you give it time. I've watched a lot of people make radical changes. It wasn't because I told them they should. I saw what was wrong, but the real changes come by the Spirit, come by them being touched by, by something. Maybe the Lord will use me. Maybe he won't. But trust that the Lord will bring somebody or something that will they'll have eyes to see. So until now, whoever, whenever the Old Testament is being read, the same blinding comes over their hearts. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. So I think another highlighted thing there is when we turn to the Lord with an open heart. When, when the conversion is really is genuine, like really heart to heart with, between you and the Lord. Again, back to when we force people. It's like, oh, I didn't force anybody. You'd be amazed how much... Manipulation. It's manipulation when they go, yeah, but it's for a good thing, you know. I scared them to death so they'd walk down an altar and so they'd choose Jesus. You know, we've done that stuff with our kids, huh? But it still doesn't create the genuine heart connection that waiting, allowing the Lord to bring them to that place does. We were... Um, when Benny Johnson, she just had the funeral, and Phyllis was watching that and uh, talking about it. And I had known this to some extent, but the more Phyllis told me more, she watched, she was able to watch it. And what kept, I'll, I'll ask the same questions about President Trump. How can he be the, the very wealthy man that he is and have kids that are so honorable that, that turned out the way, the way they did? Perfect, no, I'm not talking about that, but, but they're, they're they're great kids, and the Johnson children, like these three, uh, Brian and Eric and Leah, 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 Leah. and uh, they have this this quality about them, and the reputation. Ashley and I, us, we always laugh about it when someone, as she's grown up and gone to college and met different people, when someone finds out she's a pastor's kid, they're like, whoa, you know, like. They're, it's so typically classic that they're wild. Isn't that a shame? Typically, you watch, you you encounter a pastor's kid, and they're they're more often than not they're wild. <clears throat> so, especially Benny Johnson was, Bill was very involved as we all know became very popular in in the ministry and when they moved to Reading. Benny, and probably back in Weaverville where they lived before, she did this simple, she made sure she took time with the kids and had fun with them. Hey, 
your dad's busy in ministry, let's go do something crazy. Let's do something together. Let's, and she would, she would do those things and, and give them the freedom to express themselves um, and do different things that may not be. I mean, Benny herself tells a story that she, she got a tattoo, you know, and then took her son-in-law with her to witness it and then help her explain to, you know, conference, to tell Bill, hey, hey, honey, I got a tattoo today, you know, that kind of thing. She, she, was, a, she was a package, but righteous, holy, wonderful. When you take time to have a relationship and whoever you're ministering to, it makes so much difference. Give time for them. If we're busy, even with the ministry, we're on the phone all the time. We don't have time for these key people in our, whoever the Lord's put in your way, let's, let's just qualify it as that. It could be anybody that the Lord put in your path, put in your path. And that's, that's who you're to show kindness to. That's who you're to be there for. It's not about whether it looks like ministry or not. It's, it's whoever the Lord puts in your way. And when you, you approach them and you function in this, you watch over your own heart, you function in this ministry of reconciliation, it has amazing effects. It will cause people to walk in righteousness more than anything else you could do. Verse 17, now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit, and when, wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces, and with no veil we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the emphasis shouldn't be so much on what, what we're trying to minister to other people as much as it is being transfigured and moving from glory into glory. I mean, when people sense that glory on you, they're affected. That's, that then becomes attractive. I want to be that person that is, that ministers that, that carries that. It's a goal. Don't know even how close I've possibly come to it, but it, it is still, it changes everything. Your, your attitudes are, are in submission to his your, your thoughts, your, your what, what you do and how you function, how you do business, how you interact with people, what, how you respond when someone uh, does something wrong to you because someone will do something wrong to you. Someone will violate your boundaries. Someone will give you an, a, an opportunity to be offended, to retaliate, to respond differently. That was one of the, Mike Bickle's core values Phyllis was listening to. Um, we were listening to a teaching by Mike. It was one of the core, core things in his ministry, to give, to be kindness, to not, and he's saying, don't retaliate when someone, someone speaks wrongly of you. And, and it, it, no one's had people speak more badly against him than Mike Bickle has. And it, it took time. One of his co-people in the ministry finally said, Mike, if you're not going to tell the rest of the story, I'm going to. And he, he started relating how he would respond to the injustices that came to him. And it, it just, it's a head scratcher. Here's a man pouring his out, life out for 24-hour prayer ministry and 
pastors come to him and try to correct him about how he's doing it and he's giving money, too much money away and he should take a bigger salary, do this, do that. It's like inconceivable, but he was functioning as the Lord told him. And then he, re he revealed in this, I'd never heard it before, the Lord actually told him, be careful to guard what I've, your, the brethren will come and try to get you to stop walking in it. He's like, oh no, you must be talking about the unbelievers. Like, certainly they wouldn't. Oh yeah, they would. <laughs> Isn't that funny? What is that? That's, that's us getting our, our nose in people's business. Like, let them walk out their convictions. Unless they're in sin, then confront them in the truth. But we, we go, oh, I wouldn't do that. It's like, you may not. Maybe you wouldn't. But if that's, that's the mandate they're under, you need to just let it alone. Because all of us, who's the Lord? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. David had some faults, King David, but he had that downright. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the one that leads me, guides me. I'll look at one more. Let's look at one more scripture and I'll um, close. Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Romans 2, 4 and 5. Do the riches of his extraordinary kindness make you take him for granted and despise him? Haven't you experienced how kind and understanding he has been to you? Don't mistake his tolerance for acceptance. Do you realize that all the wealth of his extravagant kindness is meant to melt your heart and lead you into repentance. The goodness of God or the kindness of God leads you to repentance. It's, it's his goodness and kindness that leads us to come to him. That's, that's what really changes hearts, changes lives. If you want to be in the business of seeing people's lives change and you want to be a part of that, then keep your focus on this. You, we may know this, but it doesn't mean we're doing this. And life will pull you to the left or the right, guaranteed. You'll be in your own circumstance that will take you into that other ministry of condemnation. I'm gonna bring the hammer down on you. I'm gonna lay the law on you. I've had it with you. Our, our, our impatience and our intolerance gets us over here. We're like, yeah, I'm gonna be peaceful and good and, you know, have a good attitude and be, you know, reconciled, people reconciled. And then life happens and you get an edge on you and pretty soon you're retaliating, you're fighting back and someone really close to you betrays you and out it comes that what's left of that old nature. And so I think it's great to come back, like it's a come back to center. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And we live in that and walk in that every day. It'll help you in all of your relationships and your relating to people and things, things in the ministry, things at home, things wherever, that you, you function in this. It, it is a great recompense of reward to be a minister of reconciliation 
And people will love you for it, especially over a period of time you've had patience with them and you believe in them. You want to see them made right, made one with the Lord. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, we just commit this to you. We ask that your word will continue to affect our hearts, adjust us and guide us. They will have this ministry deep within us to be reconciled to reconcilers and minister of the truth, Lord. Just set a watch over our mouths that we don't end up in, we don't cross over into judgments when we're, when we're tempted, that we don't find fault when it's not, it may, may not be any of our business, that we, that we have a real awareness day by day that we get it right, that we follow you, and that we are being transformed from glory to glory, that your presence on us is ever increasing and the manifestation of your presence on us is ever, ever increasing. We just thank you for that. We lift up our nation today. I ask you to uh, watch over, watch over all the things, the whole world, the chaos, the tensions. And Father, most of all, we, we cry out to you that we wanna be in a position where our hearts are right and whether we're part of the solution, not part of the problem. Calling for your redemption to come. Falling for your righteousness to come. Praying for our leaders that they will have the courage to stand up and lead correctly and lead according to your word. I just thank you for uh, the different people that you're raising up, that you're awakening us in every way, Lord Jesus. Let the church be the church. Let us be fully alive and fully representing you, Lord. We'll repent for all the lacks and, and the things, the snares that we've fallen into, that we've, we've, we've become distracted often, fighting the wrong battles and in the wrong spirit, in the wrong way. So, Father, refresh us and renew us with your word, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. how the Lord always when Kurt does the communion and again today the last song always speaks to the communion it just that was such a beautiful song <laughs> since many of you have just recently returned from a trip to the ocean or many of you make a yearly routine to take a trip to the ocean I know you can relate to the call of the ocean that call that draws you after you go for a long period of time without being there. You can feel this longing in your spirit calling you back. A desire within you to revisit the place that you love, a tugging upon your soul. I believe these were some of the feelings the psalmist felt in regards to his experience with his time with the Lord when he wrote in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, O Lord. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. But if any of you, like me, even though you love being at the ocean, and at the same time, you may have fear of the ocean. For after all, there are crabs and stingrays and jellyfish and sharks in the ocean. And not to mention that I've been knocked down to the bottom floor a time or two as an overpowering wave took me under. And this year, I had an Alex in the ocean <laughs> and who loves to torment me. And you can just imagine the fun of that torment in the ocean. But the desire to be there outweighs the fear. And I remember the feeling it brings just standing in the waves, standing in the midst of all that beauty. Psalm 42, 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitudes leading to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. So you overcome your fears of the ocean, your fears of the unknown, when you go in with the Lord, when you follow him and put your trust in him. You overcome your fear by remembering. Verse seven, deep calls to deep in the roar of the waterfall. Three times on our trip, the Lord confirmed that he was with me. First, driving down through North Myrtle Beach, we are going through the mountains and you see all the beauty and the mist coming up. But in that beauty, there's traffic all around. There's semis coming at you from every which way. And in those moments, the fear sometimes rises above my faith. <laughs> but the Lord brought peace by displaying his rainbow for miles for us that day because he knows that the re rainbow reminds me of his presence and his promise and I can find such peace there and the second time he reminded that he was with us as we were driving we were almost there and a car pulled out out of the parking lot onto the intersection straight across all the traffic and headed right towards us and the Lord and I know it was the Lord because I don't think this way swerved us onto the ongoing traffic and back in so that we just missed being hit. So I thank the Lord for that. And the third was kind of a funny thing that happened because I was having a conversation with Alex <laughs> about his toes. And it was a really ridiculous conversation. Nothing that you would ever think the Lord would pay attention to. But it must have amused the Lord because right after our conversation, we went down to the beach and I looked down and instantly I found a shell that looked remarkably just like Alex's foot. <laughs> it was suntan color with five toes spreading out just like his toes. It was so funny, but it was a reminder of God saying, I am with you. I hear you. I enjoy you. I want to be on this trip to the ocean with you. I want to commune with you. Verse 8. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. So the first day you arrive at the beach and you hear the waves calling you and you feel the breeze and the smell of the ocean lingering around you and you are drawn 
and you step in and it feels like heaven and the water was 80 to 85 degrees and it was so inviting and it was so beautiful and it caused you to go deeper. But again, fear rises up as I lay on my bed that afternoon and I dreamt of a shark coming straight at me. <laughs> so of course I was a little leery the next time going in again. But one of my favorite things to do in the water is lay on my back and float and allow the waves to guide me as I gaze up to the heaven, praising God, thanking him for allowing us to enjoy his creation, allowing us to feel here in this ocean the way you cannot feel anywhere else. It kind of reminds me of being in his worship here on Sunday mornings, being in his worship and prayer on Wednesdays. I feel fearless, like nothing else around me matters and nothing can harm me. I just rest in him and I enjoy him. Oh, send forth your light and your truth and let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight, and I will praise you. And then another wave crashes upon me. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. As we all know, life is a journey, and at times the seasons bring beauty, joy, peace, and happiness. But other times it brings challenges. It causes doubt and fear of the unknown. And at times the waves feel like they just keep crashing down upon you. But I have been with him. I have communed with him. And these things I remember as I pour out my soul. And I can face whatever lies ahead. I can face whatever the tide may bring. For he is on this journey with me. A few weeks back, before we even went to the ocean, before I even knew we were going to the ocean, I was here on Wednesday morning, and I felt the Lord say, an ocean awaits you. And at that time, I just thought, I just pondered what he meant. And he said, an ocean of miracles, an ocean of my blessings. Then he said, you just have to learn to receive. Then I heard him ask me, as you stand in the ocean, how do you feel? And as I shared earlier, I feel joy, I feel happy, I feel at peace. And he said, you are one with me. This is how he wants us to feel all the time, one with him. He wants us to commune with him through every part of our lives. So while at the ocean, I felt to gather some seashell treasures for all of you. And this morning, as you take communion, they're gonna pass around, um, there's two buckets, the baskets for the adults and the other ones are for the kids. And they have scriptures that I had written on each one. And each one is a scripture verse for you to look up. And no one else has the verse that you have. So when you go through your week, if you, when you go through the hard times and you fear fear or doubt, 
rising up, take out your shell, go to his word and let God commune with you. Let him walk through it with you and hear him asking, how do you feel when you are with me? Do you feel one with me because I long to be one with you?